Uh, tonight we're going to be going back to Psalms. We're going to be in Psalms 41. Uh, I thought about stopping here because uh, some, they, they think, and uh, I guess it, it kind of logically makes sense, that the Psalms is divided up into five books. Some think three, some five. Uh, but it actually ends, book one, according to, to many, uh, ends at Psalm 41. Uh, so I thought about stopping at Psalms 41. I just didn't. Um, I have a problem stopping anything on an odd number. I just can't do that. If I'm at the gas pump, I can't stop it on an odd number. It's got to be an even number. i just an even number person. So uh, I, I didn't stop at Psalms 41. Um, but then there were for other reasons. It's not just that odd thing that I do. But uh, uh, I wanted to cover some other things. But we are going to talk about Psalms 41 uh, tonight. Uh, now, we noted when we were in Psalms that Psalms 38, 39, and, and 40 all seem to be dealing with the same probably circumstances and time period that, that David was uh, of some things that, uh, uh, some circumstances that he was dealing with in his life. Um, here in Psalms in these Psalms, and even in Psalm 41, it seems that he's dealing maybe with an illness, dealing with some things, uh, maybe reflecting upon some of his sins. It could be, many believe it's during a time, uh, some things that he refers to here uh, is a time that you can look back in 2 Samuel uh, 15, uh, when uh, Absalom, his son, was uh, rebelling against him. Uh, and maybe one of the friends that he talks about here, a close confidant, may have been the priest uh, during that time. Um, but uh, uh, David is going through some struggles here, and I think there is some things that he, he, he says that I think can help us. But once again, I think it also shows the character of David, because no matter what David faces, he, he, he doesn't put himself on a pedestal he, he doesn't elevate himself. He always elevates God. He, he recognizes God's uh, uh, strength. He recognizes God's mercy. He recognizes God's forgiveness. And he always draws from that. Uh, no matter what he's asking God or he's pleading to God for, or what he's confessing, what he's going through, he, he always is, shows confidence in God. And even when he's struggling with his relationship with God, he... He, he has confidence that he can get back in that right relationship and does the right things to do that. See, I, I think that's the key to it. You know, sometimes we can get so stressed out about being perfect and, and I've got to do this. And you, you can talk to people about the Bible and you can study with them. And they'll say, well, what if I can't live up to that? Or what if I can't be perfect? Well, guess what? You can't be. You, you can't be perfect. There was only one perfect individual and it's not us. David, I believe we're seeing more and more of why David was a man after God's own heart. It's because of his attitude, one, toward God and his confidence in God, but also his respect of God and his awe and this allness of God that he did what was necessary when he, he strayed away to come back as he should. What else can we do? Well, what else does God require of us? Isn't that what he requires of us? Isn't that what he wants us to do when, when we struggle as human beings, when we give in to the flesh, when we give in to our own will, our own desires to, to come back to him? And I think that's what we see with David uh, many, many times. Uh, let, let's start here in uh, maybe verses 1 through 3. 
He says, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. He will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. In his sorrowful state here of, of maybe it's a, a physical illness, uh, maybe it's uh, the sickness brought on of, of, of his sin, of his, his uh, grief over, over his sin, whatever it is, David describes, I think, the character of one who is blessed. David begins this psalm by instructing the worshipers to, to think about um, others in their time of trouble. And what he's saying here is, notice, he says, Blessed is he who considers the poor, the Lord. And he gives him several traits here. If you do this, what's the Lord do? He will deliver you. He will preserve you. Um, he will strengthen you. He will sustain you. It's all about our, our attitude. So when we're going through a trial, when we're going through a hardship, uh, it, it's real easy not to look around and see that somebody else may be going through the same thing or even something worse. Um, and we need to be aware of what's going on around us. Now when it says the poor here, I don't know that he's necessarily just talking about uh, uh, material things. Uh, he could be uh, talking in any realm of, uh, of, of someone that's poor in spirit as Jesus talked about. Uh, he could be talking about someone who's, who's weak in, in either the area of their faith or the area of material things. Whatever it is, someone that's less fortunate, someone that's struggling, whether it's materially, whether it's spiritually, whether it's emotionally, to be able to recognize them. Notice what he says here. He said, blessed is he who considers the poor. Have you ever considered the poor? Have you ever considered someone that's struggling uh, with material things. Have you ever considered someone who's struggling with their faith, that's poor in spirit, that's, that's struggling on, on the things in which they're doing? Um, you know, I think consider is pretty strong language because it means you give some serious thought to it. You're not just reacting to something, you're actually considering that individual. You know, you're looking around to, to see uh, uh, who is struggling. I was just talking to someone um, just the other day we were talking about this and it kind of went back to, I, I guess, our, our class last Wednesday about, uh, you know, most people who need help very seldom ever ask for it, do they? Uh, you, you need to be aware of what's around us so, so you can help, so you can be considerate of and, and consider those that are around you. Usually what we try to do is, has anyone ever told you a struggle that they've had? Have they ever told you about a trial that they're going through and you actually listen to them? Do you know what I think we do most of the time? Oh, really, you're going through that? Let me tell you about a time I went through this. You know, let me tell you about, okay, you told this sob story. I got a, I got a better sob story for you. I, I actually went through this. I, you know, I, you went through this, but let me tell you about what. It always comes back to us. It comes back to us as individually on a selfish basis, I believe. Instead of truly considering this person, we're listening to this person, but considering ourselves and thinking, okay, based on what they're telling us and what we're seeing that they're going through in their life, I'm going through something much worse. And, and we, we think that our troubles are always worse than someone else instead of looking around and saying, you know, maybe I can help my situation and not think about my situation as much 
if I help somebody else in their struggles? And, and it's not real easy to do. You think about uh, individuals that go through things. I've seen individuals. I've experienced this. Uh, my family has experienced this, that you know other people are going through a trial, but yet they're still thinking about you in the time of a trial that you're going through. So what does that tell you about that individual? What's their thought process? What's their faithfulness? What's their uh, kindness in their heart? They're thinking of someone else even in the midst of them going through their trial. Why would a person do that? Why wouldn't a person just think about their own self? And I think what we do is, what we should do is look and say, okay, I'm feeling this, I'm going through this, I know somebody else is going through this, what would I want, what would help me in that? And you use that process to help someone else. Here's, here's what helped me to go through this, or here's what uh, uh, I experienced, I'm going to give that blessing to someone else. And that's what he says, blessed is one who considers the poor. And here's what the Lord will do for you, because he knows that you're thinking of someone other than yourself. You're considering someone else. Notice what Paul says here in Romans 15. It says, when then, uh, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let, us, uh, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God of, of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I hope we can see why this is useful to us. Uh, when we become centered on our own problems, and don't think of uh, someone else, or don't think past our problems, it, it can be a real struggle, not only for our own faith, but it can be a struggle how others see you and, and how they glorify God. Remember, Matthew 5, 16, let others see your good works so they can glorify your Father which is in heaven when you're letting your light shine. So the things that I do aren't to to bring glory to myself, to help me, necessarily just me, but it's to bring glory to God. So that's a reflection on the character that God says we should have. And because of that, the Lord blesses us. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. He will be blessed on the earth. Uh, there's, there's a couple things with this. It talks about a sick bed and an illness. Does this mean, okay, if I do a good deed to someone... God's going to heal me of everything that's wrong with me. Well, no, he doesn't promise that. But I like how he says that this is what he's going to do for us here on earth. See, a lot of times when we think of blessings, like when Jesus said, I came, uh, uh, came to give you life and give it to you more abundantly, John 10 and 10. You know, we, we think sometimes just on an eternal thing, but I believe it, it's here too. I believe we can have an abundant life here. I think we can have a joyful life here. And I think what this is saying is it causes us to look at our own illness, our own 
troubles, our own trials, a little bit differently from a different angle. Um, now, we can, we can see things when, uh, even in the Old Testament, especially when you see uh, Hezekiah, for example. Remember, he was sick and he prayed to God and wanted God to give him 15 more years. Uh, there, there are instances. I'm not saying that, that prayer doesn't work. I'm not saying that, that we, we should quit praying, that it doesn't mean that God's going to heal us. God can do whatever he wants to do. I, I, I pray for God for the needs that I have, the wants that I have, the things that are, are struggling in my life. We're going to have a prayer here in a little while for an individual and some other individuals. I, I expect God to hear that. I expect God to listen. I expect God to respond to that, whatever is he knows is best for that. But I think what David is describing here is, I think, a reflection of himself in a lot of ways. Even in his struggle that he's going through, he's got confidence that God is with him. But, he, but I think he's got confidence that God's with him because David's not focusing just on himself. He's still thinking about somebody else. He's not thinking about, he's not having a pity party uh, just for uh, himself. But as Paul talks about here, uh, we who are strong ought to bear the scruples of the weak. You know, uh, in, in the context, he's talking about spiritual things. He's talking about uh, them struggling through certain things that we need to be aware of that to help that individual along. And, and I'm, I'm sure I said this before. Every time I read this, I think, okay, I need to help that weak individual. How many times do we actually think, I'm the weak individual? I'm the one that's struggling here. I'm the one that may be having problems with my faith getting through certain things, and I need to have somebody have patience with me. I need them to consider me as I'm going through this. Uh, I think when it comes to a congregation, I think that's a big hurdle sometimes or a big consideration that elders need to have when it comes to a congregation, don't you? When you make decisions, you make decisions... Uh, of course, according to the Bible, but what's best for a congregation as a whole, and you have to consider those individuals that are part of that congregation. And sometimes you make decisions based on what's not going to be a stumbling block for, for somebody who's coming along, but yet still appropriate for those who have come along a while. Well, yeah, if, if they don't consider that themselves or even in their own household like that, they can't possibly do that. You know, uh, we can get in a whole thing when it comes to qualifications of elders and works of the elders. You know, I like, a lot of times we go to Paul's instructions and qualifications for an elder, but how many times do we actually read Peter when he talks about the actual work of an elder, of things that they actually do and getting involved in, and you put those two together, that's a pretty awesome work. That, that's an awesome responsibility. Uh, and we don't sometimes consider the very first one is desire the work to start with and, and, and doing that because you've prepared that. And, and I think the household is part of that. But, but it is a reflection of that character. So that, that character reflects on the congregation to, okay, here's what we do, why we do these things. Each person needs to do that also. Each person, Paul talks about that several times. Consider the other person, prefer the other person. Don't always think, okay, what's best for me in this situation, but what's best as a whole, or maybe I can give up this so this other person can be stronger, or this could help this other person along. 
it, it, it's not a selfish thing. We, it shouldn't be a selfish thing. But too many times, we want to, what can I get out of it? Or what can I do? Oh, this is just about me. It's never just about me. It's about those that are around me. Uh, and, and how can I uh, work uh, uh, together in that? And, and I think that's what David shows in his character here, that he recognizes, one, that he's doing it, but two, that God rewards that, and God expects that, and God blesses that individual who, uh, who is doing that. Um, let's look in Second Peter 2, beginning at verse 5, because he says here, as he goes through, that here, here's what God, God can do. God can deliver us, He can sustain us, He can uh, uh, preserve us. And notice what Second Peter says about this in, in chapter 2. And didn't, he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterly would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing these lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the ungodly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So you look here as David says, the Lord will deliver him in a time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. Do you think David had confidence that the Lord's going to do that? I think he did. And you look at example of this, how he delivered Noah, how he delivered Lot. We can look at uh, Daniel out of the lion's den. We can look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Bingo out of the furnace. We can just go through one after one after one after the other <coughs> and see where God delivered them physically. Now, we can also go through and see, uh, you could go to Hebrews 10, latter part of that chapter, which is a vicious chapter of where it talks about being sawn in two, being slaughtered, and all the things Christians went through. And you may say, well, okay, how come God delivered these individuals, but God didn't deliver these individuals? Well, think about the time of Noah. Do you think Noah and his family was the only one that was spiritually saved during the flood? They were the ones that physically saved. There wasn't anybody else on the face of the earth that was faithful at that time, were they? Or were they? But they didn't, he didn't save them physically. So when he says have confidence that God delivers us, what if I'm praying to him that a loved one of mine is going to get better or praying that I'm going to get better or whatever the case may be in whatever situation I'm in, and what if it doesn't turn out the way that I think? Did God not deliver me? Did he not sustain me? Did he not strengthen me? Yeah, where was he for John the Baptist when he got his head cut off? Where was he? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, David was probably more warm than anyone else. And so he was hazarding life on the line. Yeah. Oh, yeah, David ran for his life most of his time. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, go back to what Titus was saying and what you're saying about David. You look at the things that he faced. 
and even the ones that got beheaded and didn't, was God not with those individuals? How do you explain that to a family that says, okay, well, someone goes through a tornado, and you see this, this family standing here, they're the only house on the block left, and they said, boy, the Lord was really with us. He wasn't with the ones that got wiped out. You know, I think sometimes that's how, where our mind goes, that the Lord delivered me, but didn't deliver. Now he may deliver this person in a different way, but their deliverance may have been in their death if they were a child of his. That, that could very well happen. But take, for example, uh, let's, let's think about this a minute. Uh, this is going to be off the top of my head, so bear with me here a minute. We, we talked about King Hezekiah living 15 more years. Was that a good 15 years for him? Did anything bad happen during that? Didn't he have uh, Manasseh during that time? What kind of king was Manasseh? Pretty wicked, wouldn't he? You know, what did God say one time because of him? He's going to wipe them clean like a plate. Well, that happened during those 15 years that he was he saved. So that may have helped out Hezekiah in essence, but were some good things happened because of that. Now, he granted that to him, but that may not have been the very best thing to do, but God was proving a point and, and, and having his purpose done. And what, what I mean by this is sometimes we think by a person living that God delivered him by him dying that he didn't. And that very well not be the case. Uh, we've got to look at it in terms of God's going to be with us. And sometimes the best thing might be at that particular time. I, I don't know. You, uh, exactly. I can remember uh, when, when my father passed away. And I can remember having a conversation with John. And... There was a long history, I'm not going to get all that, that took place with me and my father, but right at the end, things got made well, both with us and with him spiritually. And, and I just made a comment to, uh, to John that, you know, it, it's, it just seems odd that now he dies when things just got right with, with, with us and him spiritually. And John just said, well, that was probably the best time for him to die because he may not have stayed that way. You know, and, and I never forgot that because it, it really made me think that, okay, what I thought that it should have been, God knows what it needed to be. And sometimes we don't see it that way. And, and it's hard to see when you're going through the moment. But when you look here and see as David and, and whatever, you know, he's laying, as it were, on his sick bed. He's probably seeing his son. It is probably, I think, during that time when, when his son is rebelling against him and they're whispering, as we're going to get in and see, they're whispering about him, they're, they're plotting against him, and he's, like, he's having to deal with all of this. But by the same token, he's thinking about the betterment of someone else. And I think that really shows, shows his character with him. But let's, let's start here in uh, uh, verses 4 through 10. He said, I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Hear my soul, uh, heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to me, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up that I may repay them. Um, 
there's a couple interesting things with this. First, I think David describes how bad it is in his life at this moment. Uh, he declares that his enemies speak about him in malice, hoping for the day that he dies. Others come to see him and speak fall. I mean, I can just see him coming looking over David. Oh, David, how you doing, boy? Well, anything we can do to help you, you're going to be fine. You're going to be good. Uh, you're a great person. I mean, they, him laying there on his deathbed, as it were, sick bed. they're telling him all this, and they're going out whispering, he's going to die. And here's what we're going to do when he does. He's got this evil thing to him. He's gonna, you know, they're plotting all this, and he knows they are. And he's having to hear this. And he, he even says that, uh, you know, here, here my friend has raised up their heel against me. Those that are close to me, and it was probably, um, his name slips me now, not Absalom, but Absalom part of the rebellion. Who was the priest at that time? Uh, Abs uh, Ather Ahipothel, yeah. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Ahipothel. I think that may be who he's referring to here. Some scholars seem to think that. And it could have been because he, uh, he would have had, he would have ate at the king's table. He would have done those things. And he, he, you know, part of all this that goes on, if you go read Second, what is it, Second Samuel 15. So he, he's got his son, he's got his friends. All these are plotting these things against him while, while he's here. And uh, he, he knows they're doing this. And at this time, what can he do about it? He can't do anything about it right now. But, but he's hearing this. And, and, and he's crying to God about this. This is a pretty uh, uh, tough state for him. But if you remember, remember, you've probably heard this before. You probably recall this, this particular phrase in the New Testament. In John 13, verse 18, Jesus said, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know who I have chosen, but that the Scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. So David here was speaking about what's going on in his life. Jesus quotes this about what's going on in his. Um, I don't know if you could, you may can, I've heard, heard some say that. I don't think you could say the whole psalm is a messianic psalm, but I believe Jesus used this in what he was doing at, at this moment uh, in talking about Judas. If you go to verse 26, he even tells us in 27 who it is. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Uh, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. So here you got Jesus quoting, I think David was applying to himself, but there was the broader meaning of what Jesus is using it for here, uh, of Judas rising up against him. So you've got David saying here a trusted friend, uh, does this now granted there's one thing that interests me about this i've heard some say well david uh, uh david said this and then jesus quoted this because uh, judas was a trusted person that he that he had there and then he's betrayed him like this jesus didn't jesus didn't quote the whole thing jesus only quoted the part about uh, let's let's go back he says i do not speak concerning you i know whom i have chosen but the scripture may be filled he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And uh, what, did, what did David say? Let's see. Uh, let's see. Yeah, my close friend who I've trusted does this. Jesus doesn't say that. Now, is that a big deal? Some say that he implied that because Judas was a close friend. I don't know that Jesus ever trusted Judas. I think he knew what Judas was going to do to begin with, and that was part, part of it. And I think that may be why G Jesus left that part out. 
It's just those who eat bread with him here. I don't know. It's just a little thing, but Jesus never said anything about a close friend. You say, well, it was his, he was part of the chosen, and then he just betrayed him. You don't think Jesus knew he was going to do that? Yeah, exactly. He knew he was going to do it. But the point is, Jesus used what David said here and, and applied it to what's going on here. So the bigger meaning than what David did applied to Jesus, but David meant it directly for him. David was experiencing this at the time, so it had an immediate uh, meaning, but it also had a more, more broader meaning also. Oh, yeah. He was Yeah. The two, the two, I think, I won't say the saddest verses in the Bible, but two instances that I think of a lot of the emotion that had to be there, both with Jesus and the individual, was the one with Judas, when, especially when he come kissed him at the garden. You know that had to be, you know that look on Jesus' face and, and, and the look that Judas had to have there had to be just devastating. And when Peter looked him in the eye after denying him three times, that had to be just devastating. Uh, as, as Ty said, just gut-wrenching. Uh, both for Jesus, because of, of feeling what they're feeling now, because of what they did. But uh, So you put that as far as David too. You think about that emotional David. You've got a son that's if it's during that time that's rebelling against. You've got friends that are betraying you. You've got people that are, are, are just trying to attack you. As Burton says, he, you know, he was on the run and... and, and going through all this, most of his kin, uh, kingship, almost. You know, D David had to fight this every single day. It's almost like it was him, him and God against everybody. But I like what, well, I don't say I like it, but notice one thing about what David says here at the beginning of, of verse 4. He said, I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. This is one trait of David that I think sums up who he is, especially when he, he stumbles and falls. You, you could hear in the New Testament about Paul talking about being the chief of sinners. You could hear different times where people talk about their sin, but how many actually say, I've sinned against you, God? It, it, it's you that I've sinned against. Who else says that other than David? And he says that several times in different instances. I, and I think it's because David recognized Sin is transgression of the law, and it's transgression of God's law, and it's sin against God. When, when he does that, that's against God. He knows how he's disappointed God. He knows how, how, that, uh, how that severs that relationship, and David knows how he feels and how he is when that relationship is severed, and that's why he wants to get back in that. I think that's why David is, is talked about by God like he is, because David realizes I've, I, it's, it's like... A child disappointing a parent, you know. Which would you rather, which hurts you the most as a child? Making your parents mad or disappointing your parents? Is there a difference? Yeah. I, I could handle the mad. I, I could take a whooping with the best of them. You know, I, sometimes you'd say, that's worth a whooping, you know. So you do it. You know, you, you have to weigh it out. You just have to weigh it out and say, that's worth a whooping. And you do. And then sometimes the whooping's a little harder than you thought it was. But, 
But the, the disappointment part is a little hard to get over. That, that's hard to kind of rationalize and get through because you realize you've done something to disappoint them. It's not that you've necessarily done something wrong. It's not just all that. It's, it's the disappointment in it, you know. And, and I think that's what David felt when he, when he did these things against God. He, he, he felt like, I've disappointed him. And here's what I, wanna, I, I need to do about it. Uh, and, he, and he goes through and he talks about all the things that, that is, is happening to him and he's having to experience them. Uh, he said, even my close friend whom I trusted uh, uh, shares my bread. He, he, he's lifted up his heel against me. Uh, I think sometimes we underemphasize the, the significance of, especially when it refers to as, as Judas betraying Jesus, uh, I, I think we do think of him as just some rogue apostle, and I do to a certain extent. Well, Jesus knew what he was going to do. Well, even in knowing that, as Titus pointed out, that still hurts. I mean, you still have to feel that. You still have to go through that. Jesus was still the, in the flesh, and he, he felt those things, even the emotional things. Um, and, and, and especially from Judas's side, you say, well, why didn't he just repent? I don't know. You know, why, why did he do what he did? He was so overwhelmed that he, you know, did the things that he did. That, that's how gut-wrenching it was. Um, so we need to, I think, think about that a little bit more, and especially as we're thinking about David and what he's having to deal with, with all the things that's going on around him. It, 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 it's very, uh, very trying time, uh, I think, for David. But David says something here, too. He says, but you, O Lord, be merciful to me. All these things are happening. Uh, I've got a friend who I've trusted. He's raised up his heel against me. He's done these things. He said, but you, O Lord, be merciful to me. Raise me up that I may repay them. Uh, I tried to look back, and from the best of my understanding, there are several times, and that's what, uh, you know, I don't want to say encourages me, but David always was looking for vindication. And he just felt like if he was vindicated, God was vindicated. He always wanted God to do something to vindicate him so God would be vindicated. In other words, repay my enemies. And he always relied on God to do that. He didn't have a problem saying, God, stop their plans. God, do these things. Here, David is saying, raise me up so I can repay them. And I think it's a little bit different. He could be still of the broader sense of, it referring to Jesus, because Jesus is going on to sit at the right hand of God. He's going to come back. You know, he's here like a lamb. He's coming back like a lion. You know, he's going to come back with vengeance. So he's going to be the one repaid. So this could have a broader sense of, of referring to Jesus. But it could be the fact that, you know, when David gets in a position to where he can, he's still king and he can do something about this. You know, uh, he, he can rise up and do it. He almost got to the point where he couldn't, but... He, he, he's trusting in God that, God, you get me back in a position where I can take care of this as a king, I think. So I think it could have both meanings, and I think it could even, uh, I think it may be worded this way because it does have a broader meaning referring to Jesus, I believe, because Jesus is going to be the one that, that does it. Uh, any thoughts about that? I just think it's interesting in the language that he uses. He don't usually use that language where I can repay them. It's usually, okay, God, here's what I need you to do, in, in the process of you repaying them. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so even in that situation, you, know, you can say obviously they had free will, but God vindicates David and Jesus. And Jesus' you know? soul. So yeah. His involvement there, whatever you want to call it, it, it seems to me, again, David has the ability to vindicate himself in some cases, but even then, in this specific situation for this guy, yeah. God actually vindicates him for what he has to do with him. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and he does. I, I just I just find it interesting that, that you know he, he makes it a little more personal that so I can. I, I tell you, I and it may it may be just my weird thinking, that brings me comfort when I hear David say things like that. Because, you know, we, you go through this life as a Christian and just trying to get through this life best you can, and you see so many people doing so many things, and you just think how can they just get away with that? Just like, and, and the Bible talks about a member under the altar and crying out to God, how long until we're vindicated, you know? It, it's that sense of finally something's going to be done. And, and it's not about uh, vengeance. It, it's about vindication of just wanting to realize, okay, all of this was worth it. All the things that we had to, to, to go through. Well, let's just go on and just read the rest of this, and we'll, we'll discuss that. That's a good point, Jeff, because uh, I think the first bell may have just rung too. He says, uh, verse 11 through 13 in the ending here, he says, By this I know that you are well pleased with me, because my enemies do not triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Well, let's, let's look at this a little bit. He says, I know that you are pleased with me. I, 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 this makes me kind of be encouraged because in the midst of David's suffering with his enemies who, uh, who desire his death, I guess, David's able to realize that God is still with him and even with his, I don't want to call them shortcomings because even with his sins, uh, David knows that God's still pleased with him because David recognizes them. He, he, he took ownership of it. And that's all that God asked of us. You know, that, that's what he wants us to do. He, you know, there's a difference in sinning and living in sin. There, there's a big difference in that. And sometimes I think we can confuse the two. Um, and, and I think you're right. I think David is saying, okay, you're still with me. You up, uphold my integrity. I think that's one thing that keeps David going and keeps his enemies from triumphing over him. I think David does have integrity. I think he is standing for God. And, and even no matter what the slander is, no matter what the talk is, no matter what people are whispering behind his back, he still comes through because of his relationship with God. He holds true to those things. And, and that's, that gives us hope too because we're all going to have people say things about us. 
you know, uh, you may worry about, well, what's these people over here saying, or what are they going to say? If you just stay true to what you're supposed to be doing, that consistency is going to pay off. You know, in the end, it's really going to to pay off. I I can think of things in our lives, uh, starting as a family, of even choices that we made as a family. And uh, I I can remember getting ridiculed because of it. You know, uh, why do you want to do it this way? Or why do you want to do this way? Boy, y'all ain't nothing but just super religious freaks or something, or these types of things, because you make certain decisions, you know. But I've noticed over time, when you stay true to those things, even the people who don't agree with it, respect it. And, and, and they, their attitude toward it becomes a little different. Now, just because you've stayed consistent with it, and that's hard to do. I, I, I have to give my wife at least 90% of the credit on that. I may have had a little 10% of it, because she was a lot better at that with me, especially the consistency. Because I, I, I do a lot worry about what people are going to say here. Well, if we do this, what are they going to say? Now, that doesn't mean I want to change what I'm doing as far as serving God, but I do worry about it. And then I realize if you just stay true to God and stay consistent, it really doesn't matter what people are whispering or saying. You know, it's, they, they, and they don't have to agree with it, but they learn to even respect it, you know. Uh, and I think that's the kind of life that David lived. With all of his things that he had going on in his life, he, and I think that's a good phrase that Jeff did. He took ownership of it. You know, he, he realized what he did. When he, when, once he realized it, there's times he went through it, he was like almost clueless until it was brought to his attention. When he, he come to him, he said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I've sinned. This, this is what I've done. And then Psalms 51 is all about, and I like how he says it there, against you only have I sinned. Well, David sinned against a lot of people, didn't he? Why does he say against God? Because he realized the sin goes far beyond what's here. It goes, it goes to our relationship with God. But he ends with, Blessed be the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. He ends on, this is what God is to me. This is what God is to everyone else. And this is what I'm standing true to. Uh, God doesn't change. He's everlasting, everlasting. So we change our life to him. He doesn't change it for us. So I appreciate you listening and comments.